I am Danny. If we haven't had the pleasure to meet before, I serve as one of the elders for Mosaic Church and specifically serve as the campus pastor over at the Walt Disney World campus of Mosaic. Some of you are new here and even that the thought of a Disney campus might sound a little odd and totally understand. Uh, just so you know a little bit about what we do. We meet at seven o'clock down 535 as a campus. We do this just in a different context in a slightly scaled down version of this space and uh, out of the heart of how do we bring the gospel and through the local church to cast members at Walt Disney World because it's kind of I mean for those of us who have ever been Walt Disney World cast members you're probably aware that it's a a very different culture and community and so we want to be part of that Um, so anytime you're like 702 on Sunday night I want to go out to the Disney campus know you're already welcome all right All right. Well, tonight, uh, this morning, we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles and flip there. As you are flipping there, I wanted to share with you something I was thinking about this week as I was prepping this message. I started at Walt Disney World as a cast member in the college program, uh, the internship stuff there. And then I became a professional intern uh, where I was in guest relations at Magic Kingdom. You guys, most of you, I'm assuming have been to Magic Kingdom a time or two. And at Magic Kingdom, when you walk in, there is City Hall to the left. That is where guest relations is. And they're like problem solving, making the magic happen for guests, right? Yeah, that's not what I did during my internship. I was at the park entry. You know, those, those people who whenever your fingerprint doesn't work on the biometric, like that thing at the turnstile, and then somebody else has to be called over. I was the guy that got called over when you're mad about the fact that somebody has to be called over because you want to be at Disney World, not at park entry. That was me, 12 hours a day, five to six days a week for six months. I remember literally driving to work one day and, and praying, and I... I'm dead serious that I actually prayed this prayer. Um, But I was like, God, I'm pretty sure I would die for you a martyr's death, but please don't let me have to be bored for you because I was just so bored. Now, I don't know about that, where that lands, but what I do know is that says something about me, that the mundane moments of life are just not fun for me. They're hard. I like adventure and excitement. For those of you who know know me, you know that I move from thing to thing pretty quickly. Uh, the, the passage in scripture, be still and know that I am God. I find compelling and terrifying at the same time. Like be still. Three-year-old Danny wasn't good at that. And now 30-year-old Danny is still not so good at that. Now, some of you, I realize, might like a dose of boredom in your life, especially for those of you who are parents in the room. You might be like, I would take boredom for three hours a day if I could find a way. Uh, And I am completely with you. In fact, I was dropping Abby, my 19-month-old daughter, off at uh, at Kids Ministry, and she had red velvet donut that this guy gave her, and she got it on my pants and on my shirt. So like, I would take a little bit of boredom maybe from time to time, right? Now, but from a culture standpoint, we aren't a culture that prizes mundane moments, boring moments. We want everything to be exciting. 
Hence why if you've ever been to Disney World and you're, you're in one of the queue lines for a ride and you know, they're super long, but then the Imagineers, the people who make things look all awesome in, those, in the different spaces at Disney World, they've done such a great job to make it all a part of the creative storytelling. And you have the opportunity to talk with friends and family in that queue line, right? But what is almost every person in line doing while they're in line at, at, at a park? On their phones, right? Because we like to be entertained. We want to be productive. Sitting in the mundane moments of, a, of waiting in a line just doesn't really sound like a great idea. So we find other things to compel us. Now, action and adventure for many of us can be quite compelling. Mundane moments, not so much. So this morning, we are going to be journeying into a passage that on the surface might seem mundane. I, uh, now, I, we can be honest. This is a safe space, right? So we can be honest. Do you, any of you ever read the Bible and you're like in your reading plan, you get to that point, maybe like numbers or something, and it's getting to the genealogies and you're like, flip, right? Like you're like, keep going. This reading plan is done. Like I'm, I'm moving. Because some parts of Scripture are like, I don't, I, I'm sure it's great, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of this thing. And the passage we're going to be in this morning on the surface can seem like that. But this is the kind of passage that although we might be tempted to read past, that I believe that God has something to teach us that at first glance might not keep our attention. So to get there, quick recap of where we've been in the book of Philippians. Paul has spent the majority of this letter to this church that he deeply loves in Philippi, writing about the mindset and attitude of Jesus. What it looks like to be humble like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. What it looks like to think, to desire, and to live like Jesus. Now, last week when Renaud was up here, he was talking about how how we are called as a church to be a bright beacon of hope in the midst of a dark world where our thoughts, our desires, and our, and our words would all be reflective, not our circumstances, but of the kingdom we belong to. This idea that we are tempted to grumble and be discontent. But that happens when we are more focused on our circumstances than we are on the place where we actually have our citizenship with Jesus. So now, with that in mind, Paul is going to move to some individuals that he wants to bring attention to as living examples of this mindset played out. Now, we ended last week with that, with Paul giving himself as the first example, as he kind of talks about this idea that I am going to be, I may be poured out as an offering for all of you. This idea that I am in prison and I might die. And even if I die, I can do that with joy in my heart, knowing who I serve, knowing why I do it. It's to display love to you. And that's a really great example. So this morning, we're going to continue on with the next example. And next week, we'll go into the third. So this example that he is going to offer is going to be vital. But before we even get into the example, we need to ask the question, why is it important that we have examples? Do you ever think about that? Like in the story, in the story of the scriptures, we have a number of examples of faithful men and women to look to, um, both learning from their, uh, their brokenness and their mistakes and also learning from their successes and how they draw near to God. But why? Why does that matter? You see, it matters because as part of discipleship. Discipleship 
is the journey not about just learning more information about God, although information is important. That is why we need to be great students of the scriptures. But it's not, but it's not less, so it's not less than information, but it is absolutely more than just information. I like the way my friend Gabe said it uh, earlier this week when, when we were meeting up. He said, discipleship is not just information, it's application and transformation through imitation. I'll, I'll read that again. Some of you are note takers. This would be a good one to, to take note on. I can't take any credit for it. Gabe, Gabe uh, came up with it and maybe he ripped it off from somebody else. I don't know, but I thought it was good. So I'll read it again. Discipleship is not just information. It's application. It's, it's taking what you have learned and putting it into practice in your life. Not just knowing more about God and more about the way that he desires for you to live, but to actually put it into practice, to apply it to your life. And transformation, that, the, that as you are living it out, you are being reminded of your new identity and that that identity is forming you. You are being transformed into the image of Jesus. But we do that through imitation, through imitation. As we watch one another, as we witness the life of others who are faithful, we learn from one another what it means to live, to think, to desire like Jesus. See, this is why Paul writes a passage many of you are probably familiar with. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? What's that about? I'm going to just be a living example of when, as, as I'm learning things from Jesus, I want you to learn those things with me. As you see me living more like Jesus in my life, I want you to, 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 to do that, to take that on. Not, it wasn't Paul saying, I'm the most spiritual guy you've ever seen. It was Paul saying, I'm not perfect, but as I journey closer to Jesus, would you learn the lessons I'm learning with me? And that's epic, right? So that's where Paul's been. But tonight, but this morning, we are in a place where it might on the surface seem boring, it might seem mundane because what he's going to give us is a travel itinerary. So let's go ahead and read this travel itinerary. Philippians chapter two, starting in verse 19. All right. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So let's break this down. First thing to know about this, it is in fact a travel itinerary. This is not the most Instagrammable uh, verse ever written, right? Like you're not seeing this in your feed um, when you look on your phone, right? Nobody takes this one and goes, oh, this is a perfect overlay in front of a, a misty mountain backdrop, right? This isn't that passage. Not many people have ever gotten this one tattooed onto their forearm. At least I've never seen that happen, right? It's a travel itinerary. It's Paul saying, Listen, here's the thing. I'm going to send my, my brightest pupil, Timothy, to you, and he is going to come and encourage you. He's going to bring back news from you about how you're doing, and that's going to be exciting for me, and then eventually I'm going to get to go too, so it's going to be awesome. On the surface, that's all that this is saying, but that's only on the surface. 
Now, travel itineraries can be kind of exciting sometimes, right? I mean, for example, if you are going on a cruise and you get a travel itinerary from your cruise line, that can be pretty exciting. It shows like the excursions you're going on, the, the different places you're going to be eating dinner, uh, the different entertainment that's going to be offered. So it's not that travel itineraries are like inherently boring. It's just that this is an odd thing to place based on where we are just at. See, Paul typically, he waits till the end of the letter to get to the logistics. Typically at the end of his letters, he'll start kind of combing out the logistics of travel plans um, and greetings and things like that. And he has just spent where we are just at taking so much time to focus on things that are so epic, like the mindset and attitude of Jesus. So why in the middle, right in the middle of this letter, is Paul taking a detour? See, we're drawn to the dramatic, right? So this could seem like a detour to us. But the reality is God often speaks in the mundane moments of life. He works in the boring, and that's hard for me to understand. He doesn't only work in the epic mountaintop experiences, but in the quiet cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you each and every morning. Through the consistent conversations that might have in a space like one of our Bible studies, with other men and women that happen through life. It can happen in break rooms or in classrooms with a coworker or a fellow student who is sharing what's been hard with them recently. It happens. God is working in the mundane. And see, he can even work through a travel itinerary. So he works here to speak about an incredible living example that he has, which is Timothy. He talks about Timothy, who is this example of compassionate presence. He has embodied the mindset of Jesus in this way. Now, you may have heard a little bit about Timothy before. Timothy is one of the disciples of Paul. He's been journeying with him for years. They journeyed together. They did life together. They They were basically inseparables for so much of their ministry careers. Now, Timothy first came to faith in, uh, in Christ through the example of his mother and his grandmother. And then he was taken on by Paul as an apprentice to the way of Jesus and also in the venture of gospel partnership for church planting, of seeing new churches spread out throughout the ancient world. See, if you read the book of Acts, you'll find Timothy is a consistent presence in that book. And he's a faithful follower of Jesus. I mean, he was, he was so desiring to do whatever it took. So it's no surprise that Paul wants to send Timothy to them as a living example of the mindset and the attitude of Jesus. But is this just because Timothy is so uniquely awesome? Because he's super spiritual. Or that we are supposed to get from this, okay, Timothy is awesome. Be awesome like Timothy. If we were to do that, we'd completely miss the point. See, instead, what we're going to witness is Paul is going to give two specific ways in which Timothy has become more like Jesus by being with Jesus and by learning from Paul and others. And he wants them to be encouraged and to be challenged and to desire to imitate and follow after Jesus as they follow after Timothy. See, this, if you take nothing else away from, uh, from this morning's message, take this away. Watch and learn from those who demonstrate the mindset and attitude of Jesus. Watch and learn. Learn from one another what it means to follow after Jesus and to take on his mindset as your own. 
So he's going to do this in two ways. The first he's going to list is compassion. Verse 20, for I have no one like him, like Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What he's getting at is that Timothy is peculiar. He is He is peculiar. He has a genuine care for the welfare of others. He has a true heart of a shepherd. This wasn't Paul going, hey, Timothy, I know like this sounds like the worst. I need you to go though to to Philippi. And he's like, oh, do I have to? All right, I mean, it's your assignment. So I'm going to listen and I'll go do that now. No, that's not Timothy at all. He has genuine care for their welfare. His heart is for them. He's going to come and it's not going to be because it's his job. It's going to be because this is his calling and passion. He is going to come because he wants them to know how loved they are. That they are seen. He wants to care for the hurting. And Paul mentions something interesting that couples with this, right? He says, he says, for they, they being other individuals, other individuals who might go, they might Seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. See, that's where, Paul, that's where Paul is saying Timothy is so peculiar. Because naturally, we do things looking out for our own interests. What's in it for me? I mean, I'll go and I'll go and encourage them, but do I at least get like a, some really nice pats on the back, maybe a gift card or two, you know? No, that's not Timothy at all. He is looking at the interests of who? Jesus Christ. See, Timothy is peculiar. He has this mindset. And from a larger perspective, Timothy is looking out for the interests of Christ. And he does that in a micro sense, in a personal sense, by the way that he cares for the individuals that are around him, that he cares for their genuine welfare. Isn't that cool? Aren't these the kind of people that we love to be around? Think about the people in your life that that are like this, that are just so genuinely caring about everyone. Aren't those those people fun? I was thinking about who those people are in my life and and I have a list of individuals who are like this, but two of the ones that came to my mind were uh, Kevin and Lindsay Dennis. And if you know Kevin and Lindsay, you already know that this is true about them. If you haven't had the pleasure of meeting them, they're pretty cool. But hopefully you have these individuals in your life as people like this in your life as well. See, they are so compassionate and caring. Kevin is one of our elders here at Mosaic, and I've had the privilege of calling my friend and brother for seven years. And he makes whoever is sitting in front of him feel like the most important person in the room, in the world. He makes you feel so cared for. He makes me feel a little bit less crazy, and I'm really thankful for that because I feel a lot crazy sometimes. And, and, And that is just such an encouragement for my soul and for the souls of those who come around him. Lindsay is also awesome. She cares deeply about what you care about. If it is a gospel kingdom cause, she's going to be a part of that with you and journey with you and get excited with you and for you. And you're going to leave feeling inspired, not just to change the world, although you want that, but to know Jesus more intimately. And I, I just get an inkling that that's probably a little bit what Timothy was like, Right? And see, when I think about Timothy or Kevin or Lindsay, it it feels very personal, this idea that they were genuinely concerned for your welfare. But it's not just that because they were so awesome and super spiritual. It's because they are have their eyes focused on Jesus. They seek the interests of Jesus Christ. And they want you to feel valuable. 
They want you to feel cared for and shepherded because that's how Jesus thinks about you. See, in the Gospels, we discover that uh, Timothy and Paul didn't come up with the concept of compassion. In fact, Jesus' entire ministry was marked by his incredible compassion. I thought about this passage from Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus was coming down from a mountain and great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper, an unclean person, someone who would have been, uh, had one uh, diagnosis that was called leprosy, could have been a myriad of medical skin conditions. And they would be sent off because they were unclean and they were, the fear was that they were contagious. So they'd be sent off to go live in leper colonies. But look what happens with Jesus' interaction with this leper. The leper came to him and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Isn't that cool? Can Jesus heal someone without touching them? Yeah, it's Jesus, right? Like Jesus can do whatever Jesus wants to do in terms of these kind of things, right? Like he's Jesus, God. But he offers a personal touch to this individual who wouldn't have been touched by somebody who was not also a leper for years, potentially. He offers a healing touch touch. And in that moment, he looks him in the eyes. And what he is giving across is, I see you. I know where you're at. I know where you've been. You're not alone in this. Compassion, genuine care. I mean, it's Jesus. If he wanted to, he could have just walked through the town going, healed, 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 healed. You up there, healed, you down, healed. And, and he could have just done that. But what do we see time and time again? Jesus takes personal time for so many of these interactions, right? See, out of his compassion, Jesus heals what is broken. He revives what is dead. He gives hope where there is none. He says, I see you to those who feel unseen. And he offers protection to those who are vulnerable. This is the compassionate mindset and heart of Jesus. And it's a mindset that he desires to not hold to himself, but to pass on. It's the mindset that Timothy was living with and that he would discover more and more of as he abides with Jesus. Are you guys seeing this? This, this is a travel itinerary, but it's not just the travel itinerary, right? It's an opportunity in the mundane to be discipled into the way of Jesus. It is an opportunity to learn that we are called to watch and to learn from those who demonstrate the mindset and the attitude of Jesus. So Paul continues, uh, verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I will trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So not only is Timothy an example of compassionate care, he is also an example of a consistent presence. Now here's why that matters. It's really cool when you can get a one-on-one -on -one with somebody who makes you feel really heard and listened to, somebody that offers you really sound biblical advice, somebody that's really pointing you to Jesus. Like, that's awesome, right? But the only thing that's better than that is if that person is committed to go on the journey with you, right? 
And that's what we see here in Timothy. He had proven his worth to Paul by journeying with him consistently. And as a son with the father, he served with me in the gospel. He, and I love that language that Paul is using family language as a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel, but notice this is not just family language, even though that's really neat and special. It is also apprentice language. You may have, you may know this, but in the ancient, in ancient cultures, what was typical is that in an ancient culture is that your trade was passed down through the family line, right? A father would teach masonry or carpentry to the son as an apprentice, and they would take over that family trade. And Paul's using that kind of language here. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel, See, Timothy has picked up the family trait of Paul. What is it? Gospel partnership. Isn't that cool? That was the idea to go and plant new churches. This is what he was apprenticed into. And he has been a consistent presence in Paul's life. He has learned valuable lessons alongside Paul. And now Paul's excited to send to Philippi this guy. So if you know these things, which apparently they do, he says, you know his proven worth. If you're in the church in Philippi, you're like, score. You know, like, yes, we're going to, this is going to be awesome. We get Timothy. He's a consistent presence. I hope you have some individuals in your life who are consistent presence in your life. I was thinking of two of my friends, Sully and Lauren uh, Robichaud. They, they, they serve over at the Disney campus. Um, both of them have always blown me away as people who are so present with the people in front of them. It doesn't matter what friend group you're from or what your demographic or your, uh, how, uh, if you have kids or if you're single or wherever, they are with you and they want to just journey with you. They seek out individuals and they just build relationships and they journey with friends, not just in the, the good times, but they go into the middle of the difficult moments of life with them. And I, and I always have seen them as such a powerful witness of the consistent presence of Jesus. And it's always blown me away. And what I love about them is neither of them have an official capacity role at Mosaic. They're not, they're not on staff. They're not even ministry leaders at the Disney campus, but they are consistent presence in the lives of those around them in their community. I love that. I think about for Timothy, for Sully, and for Lauren, it could seem that they are just really loyal friends. And they are, but it's more than that. It is supernatural. It is the spirit of God moving and active, tra transforming their lives to be more like Jesus. Their mindset to be more like Jesus, to view people like Jesus. I think about this in, in Jesus's story with his disciples, right? He calls his 12 to follow after him. These absolute group of ragamuffins that come and follow him, right? These guys were just, were just, the only thing they were consistent about in life was their inconsistency with Jesus, right? I mean, look at Peter. I mean, you have Peter who's going to play a pivotal piece in the early church. He disowns Jesus in his moment of need three times. Not exactly disciple of the year material, right? Yet even in Peter's rebellion and his fear, Jesus' consistent and compassionate presence draws Peter back to him, to himself by his mercy and grace. And he restores him and he calls him. Jesus was a consistent presence in the midst of all the humans around him were very, very, very inconsistent, right? So the consistent presence of Jesus gives security to insecure hearts. 
He offers an ever-present anchor to protect us from the unpredictable waves of our circumstances. He offers confidence beyond the present moment. And I am just so grateful for that good news that that is the Savior that we serve, right? As Timothy demonstrated, this is what it looks like to genuinely do life with people, to live as a living example the embodiment of the mindset of Christ. And he was just doing this, not because he was so awesome, but because he simply was trying to be more like the one who actually is so awesome. And Timothy's not alone in this. So watch and learn from those who demonstrate the mindset and attitude of Jesus. Let's close with this passage, this last part of the passage again, verse 23 and 24. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, Paul's going to finish, finishes here with some very practical information. He says, all right, I'm going to send Timothy to you, but I'm going to wait until I find out how things go for me but I'm confident that I'm going to get to go as well at another point. So there's two things that he's pointing out here. And I think that this is super important that we, that we, that we touch on before we leave here this morning. He says two things. First, I have to wait to send him until I know what's going on with me. And again, context, Timothy is potentially on death row. He doesn't know if he is going to die tomorrow or if he is going to be um, let out of the prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen with him right now. Fair. But then the second thing he says is, but I trust in the Lord that I'm going to be able to go. And he says those things in the exact same sentence, right? Isn't that weird? I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen and I'm really confident in it. Isn't that weird? So what is he doing? Well, this isn't Paul just speaking things into the universe. It's not him just visualizing it and manifesting it into existence, right? What is he doing? He is trusting that there is a good dad who oversees everything. That while he doesn't cause everything to happen directly, everything that does happen in our world and in our universe, both the beauty and the brutality of life passes through his hands. Now, the reality is, I would imagine, at least for some of us here right now, that's hard to grasp. That's hard to deal with. How can God be fully good and fully great, and yet we have so much suffering in our world? I don't know if any of you have been struggling, asking questions, like praying, to, praying out to God, going, God, why are you letting this crazy war in the Ukraine happen? Why don't you stop it? God, why, why don't you heal my friend or family member or me? Why? Why? Why the terminal illness? God, why don't you eradicate human trafficking? I mean, why is that still a thing? God, why don't you stop? And you can just fill in the blank, right? Why? See, Paul had gained the mindset of Jesus bit by bit. One that actively trusts his heavenly father to provide in the ways that he sees best from his own perspective. And I realize that that's not, that doesn't feel satisfactory in the moment if you're struggling with that. But know this, Paul and everyone else who has ever struggled with that, it's real, it's raw. But Paul has arrived there at the mindset of Jesus, not easily, not overnight, but to the point that he can now be sitting in prison for the gospel, declaring that Christ is victorious, 
And not only is he not losing his faith in prison, it says right earlier in chapter two that he has not only faith, that he has hope and joy. I mean, when you're in the middle of suffering, do you not just try to hold on to your faith? But here is Paul holding on with hope and joy. That's the mindset of Christ, not rooted in our circumstances, but rooted in our, in our eternal condition with Jesus. So how do we trust the God who is fully good and fully great in the midst of a world that is filled with suffering? And the answer is there is not a simple solution. There's not a cure-all that all of a sudden will make it make sense. But it is a journey. It's as Eugene Peterson writes about it. It's a, a, a long obedience in the same direction. It's the mindset of Christ becoming more and more manifest in your life as you draw near to Jesus day by day. And we have the privilege of witnessing that mindset played out in the lives of one another as we do life together. This is why Christianity is not a siloed off individualistic lone wolf venture. This is why this matters. And not just what we do here on a Sunday morning, but what we do each and every day as we do life together. This is just the travel itinerary, but it's not just the travel itinerary. It's mundane on the surface, but it's actually powerful. See, on the surface, Paul is sending his apprentice to go and to encourage them, bring back news about how they're doing and hope to go himself. But below the surface, what we realize is Paul is sending them a living example of what this letter is all about, the mindset of Jesus, so that they can learn and grow. So we can look at spiritual heroes that we might hold up and hold dear and think, well, that's just because they're super spiritual or super special. But I would imagine if you talk to those individuals, if they're truly walking with Jesus, the Timothys, the Pauls, the Kevin and Lindsay's, the Sully and Lauren's, the whoever those people are in your life, they would probably be the first to admit that it's not about them. If you see anything of Jesus in them, it's not to point to them. They are simply signposts standing out saying, Jesus is over there. That's all we're called to do. We don't seek our glory. We seek the glory of the one who is. So we follow the example of others as they follow the examples of Jesus to live and to work for his good pleasure. Because you see, even in a travel itinerary, we can discover a living example of the, of the mindset of Christ worth emulating. So my encouragement is simple. Watch and learn from those who are around you to, who demonstrate the mindset and this attitude of Jesus and learn from them. Learn from them. We so naturally take one another's bad habits, but what if we took one another's good habits? And see, don't just look for the flashy version of it in individuals who have YouTube channels or TikTok or uh, whatever the kids are looking at these days, you know, uh, best-selling authors and go, man, I want to be just like them. I don't know. A lot of those people are probably great and probably love Jesus. And that's awesome. But you're not with them day in and day out. But you know who you do have? The people who are sitting near you right now. We have one another. See, those are the people who, like Timothy, are looking not to their own interests, but the interests of Jesus and his kingdom. And I just think about that, and I get excited about that. What if this is what the church was known for? And not just Mosaic Church, but the church around the globe. If we were people who were sold out so much to the way of Jesus that we began to delight in what he delights in as we learn that from one another. 
mean, imagine if each of us continued to grow into these kinds of living examples, demonstrating a compassionate presence like Jesus to those around us. Because that's what I believe God desires for each and every one of us. And it's not because I just came up with that belief. Because that's what the scriptures say. That's what he wants to do. He wants to finish a good work in each and every one of you and us together as a church. And that's good news. Would you pray with me? Father, How incredible is it that you, as the creator of the cosmos, would desire relationship with us? Unfaithful, for sure. Inconsistent, all the time. Tempted and prone to wander, absolutely. But yet you pursue us, not the other way around. And you desire to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. God, it's unbelievable that you would want that for me. You would want that for all of my friends here this morning. It's unbelievable. So Lord, we start by giving you gratitude because you are that good and you are that worthy. And Lord, we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would be transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. And you would be raising up in our church a culture of discipleship where we are learning from one another what it means to desire, to live, to speak, to think more like Jesus. God, this is not a work we can do on our own. It's not one we can manifest, but it is one that you can evoke in us. And what's so cool is that this is what you want to do in us more than we want it done in us ourselves. So I pray that over over your church this morning, that you would be doing this work in our lives, in our hearts, even right now, by the power of your spirit, you, you would be challenging us and drawing us near to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.